everybody out there in dreamland namaste and shalom thank you for tuning in once again i am rumors of instinct 1987 thank you all very very much for tuning in if you're listening out there 
in Dreamland, however you're choosing to uh, do so, either through the video of YouTube, the video hosting platform service of YouTube, um, you know, or through the podcast service uh, offered by Spotify, Anchor, Overcast, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, um, and a variety of others which I am absolutely grateful to be uh, hosted on. You know, absolutely, I appreciate your uh, tuning in once again for a uh, new episode of my new series, the North, East, West, and South News. So, basically, thank you all from the bottom of my heart. Sincerely, I appreciate every single one of you. Uh, new time viewers, uh, please uh, be be sure to hit the subscribe button and, and either... Uh, let me know what you think in the comments section, how I can improve the show, criticisms exactly, you know, whatever. Just, you know, say hi, join the community and everything, and I hope we uh, can start a greater conversation um, online, you know, through uh, social media posts, sharing uh, these videos online with your friends and family, uh, or your other, you know, wise online communities like IOC, uh, uh, you know, uh, IRC, uh, chat rooms and uh, uh, you know image boards like 4chan things like that so definitely definitely let's help spread the word and I appreciate every single one of you that do so let's get on with it um, like I said I, this is a weekly news um, service uh, basically uh, kind of like how I give my opinions on a conspiracy angle for a conspiracy theorist angle for the news um, because uh you know, I own that title. I, I absolutely, I don't love labels, but I love the idea of counterculture possession of uh, labels and sociology. When I was in college, I really, really liked the idea of like um, situational, um, I guess call it a therapeutic alienation, and. If you really look at it, I think its most prevalent ideology is is focused on like uh, the criminal underground and uh, counterculture music scenes and things like that, where they embrace the idea of being uh, rejected or, or having taboo beliefs and affiliations, etc. So, that being said, conspiracy theorists being the new rock stars, um, you know. Uh, absolutely, I, I'll take that title uh, every day of the week and, and wear it proudly. Like, the way people, you know, the punk rock movement started to associate with more and more extreme versions of their, their um, you know, culture of choice. <laughs> punk itself being a slur. Sorry. Uh, allergies again. Punk itself being a slur. You know, like, uh, where... They began to accept that title, you know, very, very proudly because it was something that distinguished them and separated them and identified them, made them unique, and made them um, subjects of discussion and conversation and, you know, uh, focus and attention, which is the essence, the foundation of communities, specialized communities to cater to specific um, un satisfied needs within the greater, you know, basic needs pyramid of humanity. So basically, conspiracy theorists are answering the objective and critical desires for truth 
and that is something that I am very proud to be associated with. Uh, conspiracy theories and theorists uh, oftentimes are labeled as the negative, but that actual title of someone who is trying to uh, see the bigger picture or connect the dots, that is something that I, I would be very proud to uh, be, and that's what I kind of currently am. So. Exactly. You raise your freak flag high, and and uh, stand up to the to, to do thy own self be true kind of and be like yes I I am a conspiracy theorist yes I do believe in conspiracies yes you know this is something that is important to me because it is important to everyone. Um, and you know kind of take that title back take the shame away from it because I think we've let it the the conversation be controlled by uh, the enemies of truth and the kind of champions of conformity and, and I think that's kind of the main way that when your subculture starts becoming criticized you have to kind of either uh, embrace it or absolutely identify against it and the conspiracy theorist movement would not service itself by identifying against it which I think many people like say for example the cryptozoology movement are doing they're saying you know that they're not really involved in cryptozoology um which is a disservice to the greater field of cryptozoology in which they are actually operating in. Uh, Forrest Galante, for example, is kind of distinguishing himself from the ideas of cryptozoology or being a cryptozoological researcher, which he is actually on the trail of unknown animals or previously considered extinct animals. So it's not doing a disservice to people who, you know, support him. his work and his efforts and I believe that uh, I think that's out of just a sense of self-preservation the sense of wanting to maintain your reputation and a sense of buying into peer pressure you know I think people just have to see that it's it's really kind of an absurdist uh, critique on a person to call them a conspiracy theorist as much as the same way it's a conspiracy it's a absurdist critique on a person who is blind to make fun of people who can see you know, for being for being gifted sight or having the ability to see. You know, it's one of those absurdists. Like, you guess, I understand there could be a, a sense of ire and a sense of uh, critique from one party to the other, but generally it is a kind of a absurdist comedy at that point. But, you know, it is the clown world, the, the, the insane people, the uh, patients have the keys to the nut house type thing. So, let's get on with it. Today, we're just going to be going down the news. I saw it over the past uh, couple of days and uh, share kind of what I've been up to and, and, you know, much the same way as the last episode. But I'll try to make it a little bit shorter. So, the big deal that I'm seeing a lot of is that Julian Assange is uh, being given asylum and protection and they're kind of blocking the uh, extradition process. Sorry. <laughs> hey, fever. And I know, I know, I know it's winter. And so most people, it's snowing, it's cold. Uh, you know, all the leaves are gone. Geez. Here's what it is like in Corpus. Right? You got aloe vera. You got vines, 
Everything is green. The trees are actually budding. The leaves did fall off. Palm trees. Everything's fine. Everything's super warm. I'm wearing short sleeves. And I'm wearing shorts. You know, so I understand though it would also be normal to be to have a runny nose if it was super cold. Mine's the complete opposite. Also, I'm surrounded by cats. And like I said. I'm not allergic to cats, but because their winter coat came in and is now falling off, it's like you touch them and they're just like, like, I mean, I guess, like, I, it's like, like, it's all on my shirt and everything, and you're like, and they just jump all over and you're like, I guess, like, I guess, I guess I'm your dander brush, but yeah, sorry, I'm gonna be kind of dealing with the sniffles, um, Every time I make these videos, I'm dealing with the sniffles. It's also, I realize, every time I've been making these videos outside, which have been within a very short window, the conditions have basically been the same. And so, I think, um, that's like the explanation for that. Sorry for any of the inconvenience and the aggressiveness of it, any kind of boogies or whatever. But yeah, let's uh, get to it. So, they're giving Julian Assange asylum. They're giving Julian Assange asylum or um, reprieve from extradition to the United States from the UK due to mental health issues. I know this will soon be the source of many, many conspiracy theories because obviously the idea of Julian Assange, someone so important, being given kind of a safe, um, safe housing from American prosecution and persecution uh, once Biden takes over, transitions into power, from the UK could be seen as like an MI5 or MI6 attempt to keep secrets or to, you know, like, uh, preserve the security that Julian Assange, you know, some information that he might have, or to at least prevent some blackmail from, like, I think they always kind of had this infamous dead man switch associated with WikiLeaks that if he had ever really, really been persecuted or convicted that, you know, the scandalous uh, information that he's been sitting on for the last 8 to 10 years. WikiLeaks is, is absolutely a nothing burger. It's things that everyone who's ever known about politics since the Cold War could tell you is going on through simply just paying attention to how the world really works. Let alone any student of political science or any student of real uh, geopolitical... Uh, you know, I guess you would call it, uh, reality, like the understanding of secret service or, uh, special forces operating clandestine and operations illegally, you know, with little or no, uh, jurisdiction or, um, culpability, responsibility from their, from their host nations, uh, such as one example, the, the operations of yellow fruit in the Reagan administration in South America. So... I think that um, a big part of it is that this is conspiracy theories for normal people. They're doing this to kind of sensationalize and provide a sense of intrigue for the boomers, the normies, the silver ponytails, the uh, the new bourgeois, 
of uh, political activists and uh, realists. And I'm reading this article now on um, RT.com, which is the Russian Times. And I'm saying that's exactly the audience that this story is meant for. People who read news sources like RT or the, uh, the real news or... Uh, Brett Bart or things like that where it's like political activism and counterculture for moderates and people who are blue-pilled enough to not know that this is all an apparatus of a larger uh, picture of um, uh, basically chess moves and everything that are just they're, they're cards like the Illuminati ch uh, card game and they're just pulled at random and not at random it's, it's, it's all pre-planned but it's, it's seemingly random because it's all of, of very little importance to them and that when Assange was introduced to the uh, public sphere of influence back oh so long ago uh, a role that he was uh, prepared for all his life actually um, that it would have been for this inevitable conclusion of activities, which is his ultimate, like, you know, his, his life story. This is the greater story of things, um, such as the song, We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel. Like, all of those events are very carefully curated staged events to kind of promote the certain idea of progress within societies to make the transition from one system to another less abrupt and jarring. And it really becomes a kind of thing where it's, it's news fodder. It's fodder for the people. It's, it's type of cake and circus. It's because what's really at stake here? What is really being, being called to question here is that the United States has the right to persecute people who violate their state policies regarding treason or the ability of the United States and the UK to work together as like a cooperative union. The power of the UK is it simply a flex from a failing empire, the UK, against a former colony, the United States, um, in a time when the UK's power is at absolute rock bottom uh, due to Brexit. You know, yes, there are many different avenues for it, but it's all a very orchestrated series of, of talking points so that quote-unquote activists, like uh, rebel uh, type media outlets and intellectuals and moderates, you know, political moderates, neoliberals, things like that, can feel incensed by, can feel outraged by, and they can pursue online, uh, through journalism, through their activism, um, and just kind of remove themselves from any real meaningful activities or discussions while, you know, being none the wiser by being duped by their own sense, uh, outrage and sensibilities to protest for someone who's obviously a apparatus of the intelligence communities to help basically uh, 
if you read WikiLeaks, it's a total propaganda piece for the superiority of the Western intelligence community and, and their various agencies because they have a seemingly invincible and ironclad hold on all major nations, which they do have. And so it doesn't hurt them to promote these victories, these accomplishments, because you can rest assured that they are in positions of absolute supremacy in these arenas to not be challenged. Uh, for example, there is no such thing as freedom in the Middle East. India is completely owned and, and operated and enforced by um, British special interests uh, through their uh, paramilitary special force, or their, their paramilitary unions in India, which is a very, you know, they think about the British Empire and things. It's a traditional thing over there, to, you know, that have Indians serving British interests and um, being trained by the SAS. You know, like uh, the Pashmurga come to mind. Like the UK has authority over the Indian Armed Forces. Thus, the Indians are not really free in their own democracy even to like defend themselves, that those are all British interests. So whenever you see, for example, like when I promoted last week that the Indians were going to go to war with China, I kind of even failed to recognize myself at that point, even though I, am, I realized, you know, later, that what that ultimately means is that the British are going to go to war with China, probably as a retaliation for the seizure of Hong Kong. And, and that's simply, a, it's a type of uh, proxy empire. Uh, it's that kind of a global chess piece that the imperial age, the Victorian age, uh, was famous for. Setting up colonies, setting up and enforcing um, uh, border wars, you know, in Asia for British... Um, you know, trade interests and market interests, which is going to be the Southeast Asian uh, Sea, because Singapore, if Singapore is threatened, can't really defend itself in that aggressive of a way. You know, yes, they are a fortress, but Singapore cannot really stretch its, uh, doesn't have a blue water navy or anything. Thus, it must be supported by, immediately by a nation of incredible uh, resources and power, which would be India. You know, the UK is is around the world, so is America. Basically, India is going to have to be the bodyguard of Singapore now that Hong Kong has kind of fallen. But you see, that's the kind of thing that people won't be talking about because people want to be talking about... Um, people want to be talking about um, the, uh, the Julian Assange-type scandal. Just the same way that the Julian Assange scandal, when now will take over the kind of Google impression or the footprint of incidences such as the uh, the hacker that uh, from Britain that hacked into the uh, NASA servers and found evidence of the secret space program, um, because whatever they search for British. Uh, you know, British hacker, um, because he was also refused extradition to the United States. Whenever they search for British hacker refused extradition to the United States, Assange will be pulled up.
thus further covering up and obscuring this incident and pushing it into the memory hole of the masses, which is, you know, like the collective subconscious of humanity. So, no, I'm not interested in the Julian Assange case, and I'm not interested in the outcomes of that case. Absolute matrix uh, theater, absolute uh, deep state agents that were already positioned there to uh, just further the story of the real world, the story of the Western world, one step further to its inevitable conclusion, and that's the great question and focus that we should be looking at. Eyes on the prize, always look at the horizon, because... You know, the things that happened before the horizon, that's not that's inconsequential details. Like this Julian Assange thing is inconsequential detail. WikiLeaks, inconsequential detail. Absolutely irrelevant to the overall conversation of truth, uh, ironically, is the uh, so-called truth apparatus of WikiLeaks. Alright, so... Also had this pulled up on the RT website, and that is they have an article running on Harvard astronomers saying that alien technology visited in 2017 or visited Earth in 2017 may have been distant civilizations trash. So this RT article is basically, like I said, uh, phony, phony rebel media, and so. Uh, paid opposition media and they're posting that this Harvard astronomer professor believes that a series of interstellar objects that visited our solar system doesn't have the type of alien technology that may have even made the scary trash from the known civilization A.V. Leob uh, also has outlined his theory that a perplexing object dubbed Umamu provides proof that highly intelligent life exists elsewhere in the universe Umamu, which roughly translates as Hawaiian for scout, is the first known interstellar object that was detected past the solar system. It was first observed in the Pan Stars Telescope in Hawaii's Halaka Observatory in 2017. The 400 meter long celestial body measured 10 times longer than it was wide. It was thought to be an interstellar comet by many astronomers, but its shape was unlike anything seen before. So, okay. For those of you who don't remember the Umamu incident in 2017, giant nothing burger. Uh, basically, this this weird elongated object entered our solar system from somewhere else, uh, zipped around, left, and uh, people obviously went to the obvious conclusion. I mean, they went immediately to the obvious conclusion. The the first people to see it and think about it were like, "Hey, this looks like it was an extraterrestrial object," which it was, or at least uh, an extra solar a, a, a object from uh, outside the solar system which raised the possibility that it might be an extraterrestrial probe or... It was enough to call it Scout. They called it Umamu, which is a kind of, like, designation for Scout, right? Just kind of tongue-in-cheek-wise. This started a lot of controversies because they were... Uh, the mainstream society was shocked at large-scale, or at least uh, higher-tiered academic uh, projects, you know, like Hawaii's Holocaust Observatory, were involved in the investigation or of you know such matters. Once again, that feigning surprise and shock that the same entities of research and academia like uh, that produce SETI and things like that, you know the big ear, and have always been trying to reach out for extrasolar system type activity, whether it be uh, exoplanets or uh, you know things like that, or you know 
positioning the theories that these were extraterrestrially designed or uh, artificially created objects and signals that they were they were receiving. And the fact that a Harvard professor is speaking about it is not sensational. It's actually a I think a criticism, an indictment. It's not a good thing. It's not a it's not a it's a pretty shameful thing for higher level academia to be so slow on the uptake, to be so conservative in their estimation and their theories and their propositions based on the peer pressures that they're expected to kind of like conform to, like their uh, their own um, peer pressures within their community, that they're hesitant to, you know, suggest that there could be extraterrestrial activity or objects or any kind of artificial created objects within our solar system, given that it seems to be astronomers that, like in the Carl Sagan generation, only 40 years ago, were very keen to kind of propose the idea of extraterrestrial scouts, satellites, probes, artifacts, things like that. Now, that has to be a sense of a revolutionary thinking or uh, the age of disclosure and enlightenment. And yes, 2020, it, the decade to come, the 20s is going to be very extraterrestrial oriented very much uh, fascinated with things of the paranormal like the conspiracy theories of the new rock stars and that's absolutely true because the same fame that found ghost hunters for example around 2005 to 2015 that solid little 10 year span ghost hunters became something that was a very obscure and fringe uh, activity of paranormalists, but had been a thing that's that's been around for like hundreds of years. You know, like it's been a, a small subculture and fringe aspect of society, like the Warrens in the 70s. And then it became something where you had television hosts hosting programs that have now currently lasted 15 years and generated millions of views and themselves generated millions of dollars over the lucrative industry of paranormal tourism. Where it was once centered on ghosts, I believe now it's going to be centered more on extraterrestrials and more on extra-dimensional type things, given that the, the new tone for NASA is also amping up. Like, there's definitely a push more towards space exploration. Elon Musk is becoming kind of, uh, you know, vogue. And so we're definitely going to see a futurism. It goes back between futurism and, and past like revisionalism and the, the culture kind of go, like goes back and forth it yo-yos between wanting to focus on the future and wanting to focus on the past wanting to focus on the future wanting to focus on the past wanting to focus on the future wanting to focus on the past and there's different parts of society moving back and forth between those two uh interplaying within like say even the ufo community might want to start focusing on retro UFO type uh, topics of discussion and, and, and theories and things like that, whereas the mainstream society will be looking at the futurist, I, like the most futurist uh, aspects of uh, you know UFO research and things like that. Like, in so they may not sync up. There might be a little uh, little delay within 
within uh, mainstream society and the UFO community, but there's always a, a relationship between the two. Uh, people forget, for example, like uh, over 20 years ago, close to 30 years ago, um, The X-Files was watched by millions of people. It was the number one show on Fox prime time across the country and even had its stars David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson become sex symbols. This is how acceptable the UFO discussion society can be. That this is not a sense of speculation where, oh, it was okay to believe in UFOs are not okay, you know, to say it. We are definitely now in a society, a mainstream society, where the majority of people don't even remember how prevalent the researchers and discussions, speakers, uh, things were because, like I said, you would have the X-Files debut to 12 million, 18 million people easily over Fox on primetime network television uh, outperforming every other show uh, ER um, you know what have you uh, the, the actual news and that was because people had a, a deep deep um, interest in, in, in these kinds of uh, things because they had their own personal experiences they had this kind of a, a, a sync up uh, uh, synchronized um uh, mutual fascination with it. You know, like, it wasn't just some people were intensely fascinated with it and some people weren't. Generally, everyone kind of shared the same fascination with it. Now, that's what I'm saying. This was a criticism for the Harvard community because if the Harvard community thinks this is kind of re revolutionary or radical or that this is something that's uh, anything less than kind of like a devolved topic, uh, speaking point, then they are just surely mistaken. And I kind of find it sad that an institute of higher learning which actually has access to funding and to um, you know professional publications things like that are still considering this level of thinker this level of intellectual as worthy of uh, attaining professorship due to simply the ability to meet the rigors of bureaucracy and uh, busy work that really is the, the field of, of higher academia. Um, in fact, I believe that this, if anything, uh, is really kind of a, a reason why people, smart people, don't really belong in academia, uh, aren't really found in academia. You know, this is a, this is a Harvard-level astronomer, and he's saying that the Umamu was a possibly uh, jettisoned piece of debris from an alien civilization, then, I mean, how long or, or wh what is it going to take uh, for them to start speculating on intelligently controlled craft in our atmosphere or uh, seen in high orbit or, um, you know, the different radio frequencies that we're getting and, and obviously, you know, like, um, even, even matters of greater importance in question. Uh, such as like the magnetic anomalies on Saturn or the uh, you know the, that's why I think it took so long for them to announce and the official discovery of water on the moon because 
amateur astronomers and conspiracy theorists were already speculating water on the moon um, since the 50s. Like, there are picture books, uh, photo books, of amateur astronomers positioning lunar anomalies such as storms, cloud covers, spaceships, what look like cities, since the 50s, with 50s amateur astronomer technology. We're, if anything, becoming more regressive as a society. And this is a form of their subtle way of burying our own past, our own um, discoveries, as, as a research community, as a body of independent intellectuals researching the subject with a keen interest and attention to detail, formulating our own theories and opinions and hypotheses, uh, free from the, the peer pressures and the confines of modern-day higher-level academia, and in doing so, able to reach conclusions and, you know, dare to dream, basically, to a, to a degree that it provides far more accurate uh, results to the, you know, when trying to discover the truth. We are furthering mankind's understanding, regardless of how more radical our ideas are to... Uh, professors in Harvard or Yale or Cambridge or Oxford or Texas A&M or University of Texas or LSU or, you know, Miami University. These colleges across America employ uh, extremely conservative, almost cowardly so, intellectuals who are just playing the game, who are just there to keep the lights on and to uh, basically feed as much uh, status quo propaganda as they can uh, to the public, while themselves not even not even bothering using their research to do anything more than to operate facilities, you know, such as the I guess you call it whatever astronomy or astronomer facility this professor operated. You know, and, and contented just to kind of wait for the universe to reveal itself to them, rather than, you know, solving the riddles and mysteries of the universe, you know, opening that treasure chest for themselves and for us, as the responsibility and title is, you know, to do, is to kind of, I think it's kind of uh, appropriate, now that I think about the crime and punishment quote, where he calls, uh, the detective, the, the you know the hero calls the detective. We call him a hero, uh, professor. And the guy says, "Why do you call me professor?" And he goes, "Because you profess a lot. You profess to know, you know, like that's that's what a professor is." So when I see Harvard uh, professor, you know, someone who professes for Harvard, professes to know. So those are the two uh, nothing burger news stories that kind of caught my eye. Uh, when this week this weekend um, was kind of busy in the whole uh, holiday cycle, but just took it a rest and kind of fixed up the house and everything. So that's that for that for the news. But I do have uh, other segments to go with, which is the um, did watch a few movies, which I want to talk about, and I do kind of want to uh, touch on a few more matters. So just hold on one second.
this is uh, this is the second segment of the news where I kind of just read uh, uh, interesting things, uh, science facts, and then lead into the, uh, I guess you call it the entertainment section of the North, East, West, and South news segment. So, CNET. Right. What does CNET even stand for? It's a nice little fancy logo. I'll show you guys here. CNET. Space calendar for 2021. Basically... This is a uh, article that the year uh, 2021 has been already kind of pre-planned for us, astronomically speaking, and that there is going to be a certain number of key events to play out to help out further the agenda of the New World Order. And you can see them here, both as ritual and as routine Okay, so this is what they're planning for us in the year 2021 when it comes to the realm of high science, that that technological wizardry that they possess up there, the higher echelons of the elite Vatican circles. That is the uh, you know Freemasonic uh, globalist network that are making all the frogs gay, making all those gay frogs. So. Early 2021, Starship S9 test, or SN9 test. So, remember the incredible explosion of SpaceX's SN8 prototype in December? Well, they're going to do that again in 2021. Basically, that's what they're going to do. So, yeah, SpaceX is going to blow up another big rocket in 2021. And then, uh, then Elon Musk is going to fucking act like a dick and be like, oh, explosions make science happen. You know, like... Hey, hey. <laughs> Uh, my prediction is that Elon Musk will go to jail uh, before his lifetime, and that'll be his story. His life story will end with him imprisoned, uh, possibly for extortion of uh, government funds, especially for the creation and manufacture of this fucking bunkum technology, this 1940s bullshit that he can't, that it's not even delivering on. It's absolutely a shame. But then again, the UFO discovery might uh, distract everyone from um, Elon Musk's buffoonery. You know, that, that'll be one of those things where if it does happen, you know, relatively very soon, then that might prevent, circum uh, circumvent the, the attention being given to um, the bullshit science behind Tesla and SpaceX, which is a serious... Uh, matter of fraud you know it's a serious uh, liable business type concern not so much so that I'm outraged by his uh, bold faced lies and proclamations which I am nor his lifestyle which also kind of irritates me but it's less than you know normal to be annoyed it's not less than normal to be annoyed um, you know by someone who kind of flaunts his wealth while others suffer in poverty and then tries to play a politician, which is the normal routine of the elite, I guess, nowadays, especially the puppet elite, which are themselves mere fronts for money laundering activities performed by the deep intelligence communities. 
you know, specifically those are revolved around aerospace technologies and black budget funding. You know. But that's another story. I've already made a video on the Elon Musk situation. So let's get into it. February 18th, and NASA's Perseverance rover lands on Mars. So we're sending another rover to Mars. It'll probably last another decade. Up there with the super batteries that just don't, uh, just don't die. Got the Energizer Bunny up there in the form of the, uh, uh, what is that little Mars rover that's still active today? Mine blanked on me. Looking it up right now. Hold on one second. Letting this little rabbit take my, uh, full attention. Mars rover. Curiosity. They've sent four rovers. The Sojourner, the Spirit, the Opportunity, and the Curiosity. I think I was thinking about the Opportunity when I thought about the O name. This is the Opportunity. The Perseverance rover will be heading to the Red Planet soon. That's what it says on Google. Soon. Soon all will be oh all need a all will be complete. All comes according to plan. March 29th. Boeing Starliner, the OF2 launch. The CST 100 Starliner, a cone-shaped spacecraft designed to deliver astronauts to the International Space Station for the NASA program, had its fair share of ups and downs. This is the one that landed on land. And that was the first time one of these landers had landed on land, which was, um, I guess, pretty good test uh, data if you're landing on a planet, supposedly with no oceans, lakes, rivers, or uh, large bodies of water, you know, such as Mars, the moon. Right, like if they were still trying to crack that little, uh, that little scientific um, obstacle or little little mystery of how to fucking land something going super fast hitting something super hard while something super soft is inside and not have those eggs scrambled inside the shell okay march 2021 the large hadron collider powers up again that's right people cern's coming back online i can't wait for that that's the one conspiracy i think is my favorite is the cern CERN uh, situation. It's absolutely. Um, they said it was the first thing where I was like, I am willing to go as as far into this as possible because it was just absolutely everything was adding up and it was just absolutely overwhelming amount of evidence um, that the CERN is attached to uh, ancient mystery schools, elites, European societies of power, such as the you know. Uh, Royal aristocratic uh, bloodlines, things like that, New World Order agendas, as well as delving into like the the marriage of occult science and, and high technology and science. That was one thing that was basically like the, the absolute reddest black pill as you could possibly take. Uh, you know, the truth pill that was the was the CERN uh, uh, controversy. 
So in April or May, China's Tianwan-1 rover lands on Mars. That's right. Apparently, China is now reaching 1996 levels of technology and landing things on Mars now. Just like how they landed on the dark side of the moon that was brown. May 26, total lunar eclipse of the flower moon. I'm looking forward to that. It's pretty romantic looking. May 26, I mean, it's a pretty nice day. Nice weather. I'll probably be out walking. Uh, so, like, we had the super blood wolf moon. <sighs> I remember that. That's fucking super blood wolf moon. They'll have the uh, flower moon, a total lunar eclipse. June 10th, ring of fire eclipse. Apparently another solar eclipse. Millions of people across Eastern Asia. And the Western U.S. will have a great view of the annual eclipse in 2020. Maybe that's what the, the pictures that are over there about 2021. Um... Because they say the best place to watch this eclipse will be Russia, Canada, and Greenland. So basically it'll be a northern Arctic eclipse. I don't know why that picture caption had that, that saying there. Sorry. Reading it now. Is that, is that past the editors. June 10th, Ring of the Fire eclipse that will be seen. Uh, Russia, Canada, and Greenland. So basically the Arctic Circle will have its own solar eclipse. Boeing crude flight test. The first crewed Starliner mission could occur as early as June. That's right. They're going to be sending um, uh, astronauts on a uh, Boeing-made spacecraft. So basically, uh, I don't know why that's a big achievement. I think they, they can't make 737s. But they apparently are trusted into making space planes. So I guess it's good to see Boeing back in the limelight in a positive news story. Or maybe they're going to uh, play the uh, play the fool again. And uh, it could be a brand new tragedy on the, the long journey of mankind to, you know, mankind going to space to die. July 22nd, NASA launches the DART mission to crash into an asteroid. Say that NASA's not above uh, just launching missions specifically to crash. The, the age-old trick of landing something going really fast on something really hard. Go fast, go up. It's rocket science. October 16th, NASA's Lucy launches an asteroid hunt. One the most ambitious missions at NASA's slate is known as Lucy, which will attempt to visit eight asteroids over the next decade. It will be the first mission to study the Trojans, a group of asteroids that trail and lead Jupiter in orbit around the sun, the phantom planets. The mission is named after the fossilized remains of an ancestral human discovered in Ethiopia in 1974, right? <laughs> which rewrote the history books on human evolution, right? NASA's Lucy might end up rewriting the history of the solar system, right? The Trojans likely harbor clues of the origin of our solar system and operate as time capsules, allowing scientists to understand the environment of the solar system's earliest eons. <laughs> right. Eight 
asteroids in 10 years. October 31st, Halloween. NASA's James Webb Telescope launches. And they have one, two, or six. They have six golden hexagonal um, patterned or hexagonal shaped uh, surface panels. So six six sided gold plates. A particularly spooky launch date for NASA's long-delayed next-generation space telescope. See, I'm not the one who's like, oh, I'm going to bring up the 66 thing just kind of randomly. They even say it's a spooky thing to happen on Halloween. Particularly spooky launch date for NASA's long-delayed next-generation space telescope. The planned success of NASA's workhorse, the Hubble, the James Webb, is a major upgrade to our capabilities in studying the early universe. Granted, things going well, it should be able to see some of the earliest galaxies that have ever formed. But it has been a struggle for the telescope to get into space. It's now coming up on its 25th birthday, and it hasn't even got off the ground. 25 years they've been constructing this thing. I remember watching a NASA documentary on it in 2013, and I thought it was going to happen like within the year or two. And I was very surprised to hear in 2019 that it hadn't launched yet. Like I was like, why are they waiting? And it must be because the state is extremely important for whatever occult bullshit they're going to be doing. Much like how the Nazis before them would have to rely on the certain uh, dates provided to them by their astronomers and their occult witches and the Royal Society to green light operations like when they uh, waited till the last day of the official World War II timeline to launch a mission to uh, the moon, basically. Or I believe it was Mars, to launch a mission to Mars. Even though they had already reached the moon. Uh, within 1939, or before 1939. And we're building uh, things like giant reflective mirrors and setting up bases in Antarctica to launch. They had to wait until a certain date and launch from Pienemund. And Pienemund in Germany was, or uh, Pienemunde, uh, Pienemund was um, a facility that was built over... Uh, old Aryan ruins, basically the site of a castle, which was itself constructed specifically to uh, harness ley line energies, you know, so they had to uh, thread a lot of needles and sync up a lot of details for this launch to be specifically uh, correct in its, uh, its alignment. There's a lot of, like, uh, calculation that goes into to actually reaching certain heavenly bodies. December 4, darkness ascends in Antarctica. If you're some of the scattered wildlife that spends time in Antarctica, or perhaps some lucky researchers, then you'll be able to catch the only total solar eclipse of 2021 when the moon blocks light from the sun over the icy continent. That's right. No light, because the sun will be completely blocked out by the moon for only Antarctica. So Antarctica is going completely dark. In 2021, right after they launched the James Webb satellite, which looks like, to me, an artificial solar simulator, a sun, and this they're going to switch out the fake sun with a new sun, basically going to switch out the light bulbs, 
no, of what we call the sun. Switch out those light bulbs. The next total solar eclipse after that won't be until 2023. It'll only be visible in parts of Southeast Asia and Australia. The U.S. will experience a total solar eclipse in 2024. Artemis 1 is coming, perhaps. Oh, so great. So the next election will be marred by a solar eclipse and everyone will lose their fucking minds. Artemis 1 is coming, perhaps. So possibly in 2021. Uh, oh, I guess, sorry. Uh, the, the the plan to launch humans on the moon, to land them on the moon, is going to, has, has a timeline for 2024. Hopefully by 2024 we see another official moon landing uh, on NASA's part. Even though we know there's already a colony up there. We know the Secret Service program. We know. Um, but they will be launching the first test rockets in the with the with the final crew by 2021, hopefully. Potentially no later than 2022. Chandrayaan-3 from the Indian... Uh, space program will be launching in 2021. And there's a few new major meteor showers to be watching out for in 2021, as there always, always are. Um, and I'm starting to think that these meteor showers, because they're so um, succinctly scheduled, have to either be intelligently controlled operations, maybe to jettison uh, debris, and trash our, our space junk through our atmosphere to burn it off or maybe even uh, artificially created themselves um, using technology like as advertised by that Japanese company, which I'm so excited about, you know, having found. Because how else would they be aware of meteor showers and schedule them like weather forecasts? And it's because they, they kind of know that there'll be a lot of light and activity and commotion uh, in night skies, given that certain, like, you know, places will have space garbage, you know, day. And they just kind of have to kind of uh, disclose it, like admit it, like forecast it. And it gives them credit and credentials or credibility, um, as well as kind of explains away the situation. Okay, so moving on, moving forward from the science news, uh, movie reviews, entertainment news and reviews. Not a lot new on the uh, entertainment front, so there's not a lot of disclosure media or anything like that. And I kind of am more of a reactive critic, a reactive uh, like media um, uh, kind of person. So that even if or when I do encounter a new piece of media, it's something where I'm surprised by and I'm kind of taken back by. Uh, it's not something I generally pursue with uh, expectation of foreknowledge. Uh, not anymore. I used to. And I'm actually very, very surprised by the obscure movies. Like when I first heard about Holy Mountain by um, uh, John Arwoski, I had heard about it online and purposely sought it out. You know, when I first, when I hear about some films, I absolutely uh, find it kind of like the universe is telling me to pursue these things. When I watch others, I kind of view that the universe is kind of rewarding me 
in in that way, like providing uh, worthwhile entertainment, etc. My way. So basically, um, one of those experiences happened again when I watched the film Midnight Sky. George Clooney, Midnight Sky. Now, I'm not saying that it was like uh, my favorite movie. I'm not saying that it was something that that night I absolutely couldn't get enough of, but I did watch it with, with really kind of like, you know, genuine... A sense of... appropriateness, a sense of accuracy, of actual gravity and importance, a sense of gravitas. That's it in the storytelling. It's not something that's so frivolous as to be considered a uh, vanity project or some just kind of a, you know, failed execution of a gimmick or something. Um, In comparison, when he made Gravity, you know, as a sci-fi film itself, uh, when he made Gravity, George Clooney, uh, I didn't feel like that was a very relevant film. I felt it was just to sell the gimmick of the weightless CGI and to kind of act as a vehicle for these two older characters to kind of have the limelight, George Clooney and uh, Sandra Bullock, the characters themselves, like the acting characters, um, like the personas over the characters. Um, I feel, though, that this was a really genuine attempt to kind of write an existential movie, an existential story, much akin to the old man's, uh, the uh, old man of the sea, old man of the sea by Hemingway. That's the kind of the, the old man of the sea by Hemingway. And that spirit of a man futilely struggling to survive in a situation where there is both hope and no hope. Where there is a existentialist Zen understanding of the futility as well as the fragility of the I guess you call it not only the life that you live but of all lives that are lived. Um, yes, it's a sci-fi story. Yes, it's SSP. This is, these are elements, of course, that I love about it. These are, these are the reasons why I'm speaking about it. It's because uh, at first I wanted to speak about the SSP disclosure elements of it, the idea of, uh, um, you know, human race becoming an interplanetary species, etc., etc. Um, Antarctica... Obviously, is very important to the story, the narrative, and to uh, both the SSP and the UFO uh, community itself, like the conspiracy theory community itself. But really, I kind of was taken back by the existential truth of the of the movie of the of the the fact that it inherited and took inheritance, like responsibility for the inheritance of the American uh, the American. Uh, fiction narrative, which is one of existentialism, which is one of uh, struggle against nature. Mankind uh, both being at the mercy of nature and uh, his own savior. 
where the even though nature may provide a limitless amount of harshness and and um, and difficulty and challenge, that even though it's not guaranteed that mankind will succeed or a man will succeed will survive, not guaranteed at all. That a man still can survive, a man still can. Uh, you know, achieve a state of victory, some kind of victory. It might have to be a compromised victory. It might have to be a victory that is a pariah victory. But it is a victory nonetheless. Existentially, I feel as a very pragmatic and honest and, and traditional and the good way. Uh, you know, don't don't let them don't let the modern peer pressure uh, Stalinistas um of the, you know, mainstream, mediocre society, however shape or form or incarnation it has today, overpower the truth of tradition and the prestige that has already been established inside the American canon of uh, literature, film, philosophy, art. You know, like, it, existentialism is the hallmark of intellectual growth, progression, and maturity. Not only inside individuals, but inside societies. And when a society can embrace the philosophical tenets of existentialism, then it can survive despite the hardships encountered to it, regardless of how great those hardships are. We need to remember that philosophical truth. Every generation needs to remember it. And luckily, films like these, uh, you know, preserve that information and allow it to be accessible to large amounts of society that normally wouldn't have that kind of uh, presence of mind. To, to seek it out the fact that this is a film that's made by George Clooney for example uh, not only does it give it the, the, the surprise that George Clooney is actually maybe uh, reaching a sense of, of gnosis himself but actually that mainstream Hollywood or mainstream actors are because it's nothing new that they may be returning to a sense of that old world um, integrity inside filmmaking again. You know, and yes, I know about the, the cabal and the, the creeps and the underground, eyes wide shut, Hollywood, Pandora's box parties and things like that. I get it. I get about his alternative life. I'm also cosmopolitan. That's nothing new. That's an inheritance from the artistic bohemian society. And the weirdo elite patronages of tropes and things like that from royal courts that goes back centuries and centuries and centuries. Um, specifically, the fact this is an American incarnation of it, I think, disturbs people who have really no context, historical context, when it comes to the entertainment casts, the, the acting cast. They were considered uh, as scandalous and, and as low reputation as thieves. You know, it's of no surprise that there are still 
scandals of reputation occurring because there is never a point where there wasn't since the days of the ancient Greeks and of Shakespeare and things like that. This is absolutely within play of if you know what Romans did 2,000 years ago, you know, compare it to these days, what we consider, you know, Kabbalistic, satanic, occult, you know, underground secret societies, they consider, you know, child's play in, in something that's not even... Uh, worth their attention because they are of the ancient world and we are of the modern world uh, the great reset world so basically that's not going to factor in on my positive review a very positive review on Midnight Sky and I highly recommend it specifically for the existentialistic truth the uh, battle between the individual and nature the individual and fate so absolutely really really like the sci-fi uh themes and and setting of it the 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 timeline of it the conceit of it um but absolutely it's a timeless story it's it's a story of uh the old man of the sea which itself was a lot like in you know in theme to this one that a sense of the human spirit is timeless regardless of the context that it's in, regardless of the trappings that it finds itself in, the details that um, fill the pages of a man's story, a man's story is still ultimately the same. So Midnight Sky, highly recommend. Highly recommend also, as a blast from the past, um, Dark Skies. Now, Dark Skies is a film that came out in 2013. It's about alien abduction. It was created by Blumhouse. Um, I just kind of want to give it a shout out. I think it's a really great movie. It's not really worth uh, going over as a deep state review or like a deep uh, deep dive review or anything. But basically, uh, alien abduction in suburbia, much like uh, the fourth kind, and that kind of uh, genre of home invasion and child abduction stories. But the the culprit is extraterrestrials, and it's kind of like notified of. Uh, you know, no one believes the family at first, and then ultimately it's it's kind of like almost a proven fact that this happened, and you're seeing, like, even though it wasn't, uh, even though it was covered up or it wasn't conclusive or whatever, you know, like, Skinwalker Ranch is also like that, too. Like, there's a lot of genres where it's, like, uh, people having to defend themselves from aliens and, and being abducted by aliens and things like that. That's that genre. It's absolutely incredibly good. Uh, when it comes to alien abduction mythology and facts and details, it's a hundred percent accurate. Hundred percent accurate. Total total source of disclosure. Totally uh, honest and reputa- uh, You know, like good vibes. Uh, when it comes to that, like I didn't see any one bit of information that they showed that was contradictory to real legitimate literature, research, and. Um, you know, eyewitness testimony, hypnotic, uh, hypnotic memories, recovered memories, things like that. Absolutely, it's an insider's movie because it gives validation to experiences. It makes them dramatic, of course, but it also pre- expresses a lot of things which are hard to express. And seeing what I already knew to be true on screen was really uh, was really cool, especially since this movie was made in 2013. And, um, you know, now that I know this exists, I can always point it out as kind of like a mainstream, legitimate, 
acceptance of this kind of uh, this kind of material as canon or as uh, as uh, as mainstream as you know your ghosts, your poltergeist, your demon possession, etc. I think the mythos of virtual reality, I think the mythos of screen memories, I think the mythos of um, amnesia, of time dilation, of alien implants, I believe all of that was pretty accurate. It didn't obviously go too in-depth or detail like the fourth kind does with like the the explanations and the reasons for it, but it does do a solid enough job and I, I highly enjoyed it. Dark Skies. Um Yep. And so I think that's basically the two movies I want to kind of just review at least for this week. Midnight Sky and Dark Skies, both very positive, both very um uh rewarding experiences. Even though they're movies that are not positive, they're they're very existentially dark movies. They're very um Not nihilistic. They're existential movies. They produce a lot of dread. They produce a lot of tension, a lot of anxiety, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, emotional engagement, things like that. And I feel that that's what you want in a movie. You you want your movies to be um, real to life in that sense, but you want them to be about subjects. As the Midnight Sky is about uh, low realistic science fiction and in, in in a real possible uh, apocalyptic future, and Dark Skies is about the real existential horror and dread of being targeted by an intelligent extraterrestrial species for abduction against your will, your children's abduction as well, um, against your will. In suburbia, with society shunning you and not wanting to know about it and hearing you. Um, unlike, say, for example, Close Encounters of a Third Kind, which is, you know, very realistic, but ultimately has a very unrealistic and optimistic and, and you know, uh, Disney-like ending, you know, where everything is just kind of better and, and all set right and... You can say you don't really want your messages of truth to be comedies. You want your messages of truth to be tragedies. And Midnight Sky um, and Dark Skies are both appropriate tragedies for a existentially aware and enlightened, you know, Gnostic viewer. They're going to get a rewarding experience from it. You're going to see your disclosure. You're going to see your predictive programming. You're going to see your philosophy. You're going to see your uh, modern mythologies in it. But you're also going to see your human drama and you get your investment through the emotional cathartic experience that way. And it's not going to leave you feeling like um, it's not going to make you feel like uh, you were ripped off or, or, or there is no reason to kind of invest yourself because of certain, you know, outcomes that you kind of can see it coming or, or forecast. They're actually pretty. I mean, they're pretty solid little twists. I think people want too much out of twists. 
uh, plot twists and things, and I think that people are very jaded and very cynical when it comes to them, but I think that both movies have solid twists as well. And so if you want a existential uh, little mini-marathon, definitely Midnight Sky and Dark Skies. They're not terribly closely related. They're not... They, they'd be too complimenting but very very different and unique film watching experiences um but hopefully you know like i did i see very interrelated and similar themes in both films and highly recommend both dark skies 2013 midnight sky 2020 so that's that and uh for my shout out for something new and uh recommending i think this is kind of strange because um Like, I don't really um, know the person or anything like that. Obviously, like, this is not something where I can I can speak about for great detail about who this person is. But I am actually really, really enjoying watching the UFO upload videos to Nick Thomas TV. Nick Thomas TV. I know it's probably just some kind of studio project YouTube site that is just trying to get money uh, through views but you know something about it tells me that there's a deep respect and interest for this kind of media and the the desire to get it out to you know a viewing public and audience I don't see a lot of ulterior motives and I don't see a lot of uh, self-promotion or anything like that outside of the actual channel itself, which is consistent with the creation of one or the pursuit of a desire in this of this career, which I myself have and many others have. There's nothing wrong with that. But whereas like Suspect Sky or... Um, what the fuck was that called? Um... Hold on one second. Sorry about that. But like Secure Team 10 are... And I didn't mean Suspect Sky. I actually really, really like Suspect Sky. Um, That's another channel I highly recommend, Suspect Sky. And uh, Suspicious Observer. Um, Those are two good websites. But one thing at a time, right? I'll give them their weeks uh, next week and the week after that. But um, Nick Thomas TV. But like, not like... Um, that their channel is not like Secure Team 10 or Third Phase of the Moon or any of the Gaia crowd where they're trying to promote themselves as experts or at least, um, you know, promoting false, like, like hoaxes, CGIs, uh, false positives, um, sensationalist stories. Uh, it's not like Fantastic Daily either where it's strictly for entertainment. Um, nor is it like, uh, it's just a simple, straightforward presentation of UFO videos and strange light videos, things like that. It's really, um, consistent with its uploads, uploading once every day or once every other day. And it provides some really good, obscure, legitimate looking UFO videos. Yes, there's a lot of watermarks and like Thomas TV and stuff like that. But at the same time, the videos that I have seen on that site, I have not seen anywhere else. 
And I'm very appreciative for sources like this on a free platform such as YouTube to um, at least deliver them, you know, at least give you the opportunity to see them for yourself and make your own conclusions. So that's forward momentum and helping out a channel. That's that's why I kind of want to cross promote them. So if you're watching here, this late in the video, definitely go check them out. Highly encourage you guys to check out Nick Thomas TV. It's N-I-C-K-T-H-O-M-A-S, so Nick Thomas um, TV. And he has about 30,000 subscribers, you know, help him get more. Uh, yes, put up with the self-promotion and everything, like you put up with mine, and that's just the name of the game. At the same time, I think he offers very legitimate, very straightforward, and very, uh, you know, legit attempts to show the masses, to the two masses and then the people on that platform. Um, you know, genuine UFO videos, identified flying objects, whether or not their source of origin be, you know, whatever. These are incredibly interesting um, anomalies filmed and, and provided, you know, presented. So, I mean, invest a couple of minutes, just check out the, the Nick Thomas TV uh, channel. And, uh, you know, see for yourself. So that's been the news, north, east, south, and west. And that's for it for me. Rumors of Instinct 1987. This is the Rumors of Instinct podcast. And, if, you know, thank you for watching either on YouTube or watching on Spotify or listening to you on Spotify. If you're watching on YouTube, definitely check out the podcast uh, with the musical accompaniments and special in, uh, focus, you know, special uh, features and things like that on some of the episodes. I upload to Anchor, which uploads to Spotify, iTunes, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, things like that. Um, definitely appreciate the traffic over there. If you guys want to just give me like a, a couple of clicks, a couple of views. Also would appreciate if you're listening on Spotify or one of those other services, to check out the YouTube channel, Rumors of Instinct 1987, and definitely uh, check out the videos of not only podcast episodes, but of other subjects in my portfolio and library. I have over 200 videos that I have filmed, the majority of which were filmed in 2020. Definitely, definitely appreciate all your guys' uh, interests and attention so far, your support, uh, your kindness. If you want to reach out to me, check out the community page, the emails, comment sections, definitely uh, let me know if you would like to be a guest, if uh, we collaborate, whatever. So just uh, kind of reach out, start a conversation and, uh, you know, help, uh, you know, help uh, truth and, and independent content creation flourish, you know, for now and always. So, hope everyone's having a great uh, 2021 so far. And I'll be seeing everyone again in the 6th on Wednesday when I upload the amazing uh, Dame Von Bondesi's interview with the Rumors of Instinct podcast that will be being recorded that afternoon. So, absolutely over the moon, very honored, very thrilled to be having a very special guest. Uh, be the first special guest uh, for the 2021 calendar year. Absolutely could not ask for anything more as a as a holiday gift rather than to speak with this amazing, vibrant, creative individual who is a champion for truth uh, uh, in every sense of the word.
So look forward to that Jan- uh, January the 6th uh, new episode being uploaded on the Rumors of Instinct podcast and on this YouTube channel featuring very special guest Dame Von Bond Daisy. So thank you all very much for listening. Uh, if you have made it this far, absolute troopers. This has been a marathon session. Uh, north, east, west, and south, the news. This has been Rumors of Instinct. Shalom, namaste, namaste, and shalom. Iron sharpens iron, a friend sharpens a friend. Thank you once again to everyone out there in dreamland. God bless you and your families.